Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is David Smith, originally from Bothell in Scotland. And you, my friends, are listening to the best podcast on the net and all the people who hit balls over it. It's the Tennis Podcast. Hooray and a big thank you to David Smith who has introduced our edition of the Tennis Podcast midway through the Madrid tournament here which is uh, ongoing as uh, Matt and I come to you with Carlos Alcaraz against Cameron Norrie. Uh, more of that a little bit later. But David is one of those that came to our live show three years ago. Do you remember that, Matt? When, before lockdown and all that, and we uh, we were at the Queen's Club, but he's been a, a, supporter, of us, a sort of supporter of ours for, for quite a while, has, uh, has David. And he's a friend of the Tennis Podcast. He's in at the intro level. If you'd like to introduce an edition of the Tennis Podcast as well, you can do exactly that. Um, links in our show notes. And yeah, thanks, David. Uh, Matt, how are you? Very well, thank you. And yes, I do remember David coming to the live show. I remember having a very nice chat with him about his appearance on Only Connect. He was a oh, yeah. he was a team captain, and they did very well, I think. And he was he was a captain of the Dark Siders, which I think is because they all like the Dark Side of the Moon album. And oh. uh, yeah, David's very clever. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, we like clever people here on the Tennis Podcast. Uh, talking to clever people, Catherine Whitaker's not here uh, with us today. She's in Madrid, courtside, as we talk to you uh, with Carlos Alcaraz and Cameron Norrie uh, in soon-to-be-out-of-date tennis news. Locked one set all at quarter to 11 at night, and Alcaraz has a game point for 4-2. This match to be followed by a women's semi-final, which is likely to get on court well after 11pm. Probably about 11.30pm, they will take to the court for a women's semi-final. That will be Jessica Pagula against Jill Teichman. One of the biggest matches of their careers. And they're going to get on court close to midnight, Matt. I know things have gone long today. We'll get on to Rafael Nadal's epic match. We'll get on to Dan Evans playing a long match against Andre Rublev and, and all of these stories. There are reasons for the fact that everything has been elongated today. But still, the schedule itself has put this match, a semi-final, last on, not before 9.30 local time, and it's going to be closer to midnight. Honestly, how long have we got to talk about the Madrid scheduling? Because I have 
so many issues with it and they just continually shaft the women in the second week. I remember it from last year that because the women start earlier, by the time their tournament gets to the latter stages, there's so many men's matches still to play that the women get shafted on quarterfinal day for the women. There were two quarterfinals on the main court and there were three men's round two matches on the main court. It's it's men's quarterfinal day tomorrow. They've got the whole centre court to themselves. The scheduling is frankly outrageous, I think, and this is probably the worst of them, having the having the semi-final, as you say, when, let's be honest, I think most people probably will have left after watching Alcaraz tonight, which is going to be a long match. It's going to be played in a pretty empty stadium. And as you said, it's the biggest match of both of their careers so far, or certainly one of the biggest matches. Um, Jessica Bagula is also still in the doubles, which means she may she may have five matches left to play this week. And she's been playing this tournament already for a week. And yes, they've had some rain, but they've also got three stadiums with roofs there you know they there aren't really any excuses I don't think and the structure of the schedule of this tournament is set up in a way that just kind of ignores the women in the second week and for a joint event I think it's it's really really disappointing yeah uh, I agree and uh, yeah we have uh, Jessica Pagula who beat uh, Bianca Andrescu and one of the stories of the tournament Sara Saribes Tormo to get to the semi-finals and Jill Teitman uh, who's had just such a great run herself. Sort of quietly, doesn't she go under the radar, really, but to get to the semi-finals. We'll, we'll let you know um, what we thought of that match in our final show, which we're going to bring to you on Monday. Uh, we're going to record after the uh, after the tournament's over again to review everything, so we'll be able to bring you the result and, and our impressions of things uh, from their perspective once we get to the final show. But I, I suppose, in a way... Right now, I'm looking at the women's draw in terms of Anstjabur, and she feels like the story of it overall because it feels like something's clicked. You know, we've we've been talking about Anstjabur for, for, for many years now, just marvelling at her ability, and yet certainly I have been unconvinced that she would ever do anything with that ability to make us talk about her in the latter stages of a tournament like this. I mean, frankly, I'm not even sure I ever thought she would reach the final of a Masters 1000. I've been on record as saying I never think she will be in a mix for a Grand Slam, in my opinion. Lifetime. Anyway. In my lifetime, I think I said <laughs> yes. Um, and that's nothing to do with her talent because I, I've compared her talent to that of Ash Barty in terms of skill set. And I just... I've I've been confused as to why she's not been able to make more of it. And look, she's having a fantastic career. Don't get me wrong. This this is a woman around the top ten in the world. She's a brilliant, brilliant tennis player, having a wonderful career. But I think that talent should be on a bigger stage more often. And and something has held her back. Something has got in the way. Well, maybe she's got it out of her way. Yeah, maybe. I think I think this tournament generally has presented an opportunity for players we so often talk about as being close but coming up a little bit short you know I think Jessica Pagula 
probably in that category. Someone really consistent, but who's lost in latter stages of big tournaments recently. Jill Teichman even is in there as well. But above all, the sort of uh, epitome of that is Ons Jabeur. And she has had to beat Bengchik to get to where she is, who she'd never beaten before. She's had to beat Halep to get to where she is, who she'd never beaten in a completed match before. Halep had retired before. And today she beat Ekaterina Alexandrova, who she had a 1-6 head-to-head record against going into the match, albeit most of those at ITF level or qualifiers quite a few years ago. But I just think the fact that Jabur has overturned all of those head-to-heads demonstrate what you're saying there, David, that she's she's taken a step, she's made a progression this week. And I think we're seeing that with, with the tennis she played. I thought... Against uh, Bengchik in particular, she really simplified things. You know, it was a lot of what Ash Barty used to do, which was set up a point with a serve, hit a big forehand and just kind of be done with it. You know, she's got all these options, but she didn't necessarily have to use them all against Bengchik. Against Halep, I thought it was a bit of a different story. You know, the drop shots were in full force. I think she hit over 15 of them in the match and she was driving Halep nuts with them. You know, Halep, one of the best. 15? One of the best movers 15 around. 15 drop shots? Over 15, I think it was. I mean, I lost count. I, I, I always try and count Jabur's drop shots in my head because it's not, it's not a stat that gets tracked. Um, but there were just so many. I just, I just lost count. But Halep was, was not getting to many of them and she is fast and... I just thought, again, she was brilliant today against Alexandrova. There was there was one point in particular after a bit of a nervy start to the match. She just played this point to break serve, which she ended with a drop shot winner. And it had about over 20 shots in it of all, all kinds, slice, drives, attacking, defending. You know, it was everything. Jaberg just showing us what she can do. She won that point and then she was like liberated for the match and just took over and won it really, really easily. So... I've been really, really impressed with Jabur and I, I can't think of a more popular champion from, you know, I, I feel like all the players like Jabur, I think all the fans, I yeah. think all the journalists, everyone's just kind of rooting for her to do this, I think. Uh, and that the fact that the players are included in mm. that assessment is absolutely right because uh, it amuses me that Jabur has just duffed up Alexandrova 6263 today, and Alexandrova just greets her like a long lost friend at the <laughs> net and a big, great big smile on her face. And it seems like everybody does the same thing. Like they're just all delighted to have been, well, not, you know, not to have lost, but that, it, that Jabur has had that success. Yeah, absolutely. She she just is a lovely, lovely person, I think. Um, and look, David, you said that you thought maybe she wouldn't, you know, ever maybe get herself in this position. And certainly we made predictions at the quarterfinal stage of this tournament. And I didn't go with Jabur, you know, of, of all the players remaining, you know, and she was the highest seed left. And look, she hasn't won it yet. She's still got one tricky match. But I just think the fact that none of us went for her maybe we're all just idiots there's <laughs> there is that option but you know I kind of need to see it to believe it with Jabur and I'm not going to pick her until she's done it but I think if she does win a big tournament like this won't that just make you so much more confident about her down the stretch in big tournaments to come you know just 
because she'll have done it. You know, she'll have something to tap into when she gets to semis, finals, That's or big it, events again. We don't believe in her because she doesn't believe in herself to this point. You know, and maybe now things are changing. It's funny, actually, we we were discussing this, uh, Catherine, you and myself on, on our WhatsApp group, about what it is, why, what, what the difference is with her and Barty. And Catherine just did remind me that it's not that long ago that it was Barty who would throw in a, a dud of a performance now and again. That's the sort that, I, that I'm kind of accusing Jabur of throwing in when she's in amazing form and she looks like the most informed player in the draw and she's the one that other players you feel are tuning in to her matches to watch because she can do stuff that none of them can do. And Barty was like that, and then suddenly she'd run into a, a Mukova or or someone like that, or an Alison Risk at Wimbledon when she's she looks like the best player in the draw, and yet she loses in the fourth round and things like this. And it's it's really only in, in the last year or so that Barty and um, such a shame she's retired from our own selfish perspectives, but but she has suddenly she elevated her game and her presence on the court and her belief so that she felt like a serial winner. Now, look, we're, we're, we're far away from that with Jabir. She hasn't even won this tournament yet, let alone competed for a Grand Slam in which Iga Sviantek's going to be back and uh, you know the, some of the other best players in the world are going to be present once more. So we, we, we've, we don't know, really, whether this is going to lead to more. But it does feel a bit different. It does... Yeah, it, and I wonder whether she thinks that. Well, I saw her comment on her own performance in the Charleston final recently, which she reached last month, I think. And she said she was disappointed with that. And she said, you know, whatever happens on Saturday when she plays the final, um, you know, she's she's confident she's going to put in a better performance. She's going to, you know, she said, I'm going to leave my heart out there. And I think I think she's desperate to win this. I think there's there's something about her. There's a there's a look about her that, yes, OK, she's playing lovely, lovely tennis. But there's also a kind of steel and a, and a grit about her this week. And, you know, she's maybe not always had that quite so much. And I think it, I think it comes from comes from belief. Just a, a word, by the way, Matt, on Emma Raducanu, who we were talking about the other day and who looked so comfortable on clay. She ended up losing her, her next match after we'd been speaking, a very, very close match to... Now, you might need to help me with the pronunciation of her name. It's Angelina Kalinina. Is that right? I think it's a hard G in the in the first name. Angelina Kalinina, I believe. Okay. All right. Catherine's nailed this she pronunciation, has. by the way, everybody. Uh, she's listened over and over again on the WTA website, uh, as I have tried to do, but I have to say Catherine's rather better at it. <laughs> so I, can, I, can't, I still can't quite get it. But anyway, um, she, she looks like a player. Um, and she, I mean, she lost eventually against Jill Tightman, but she really is quite, quite a talent. Yeah, she is. They were they were neck and neck in that match, weren't they? Right down the stretch. Raducanu was dealing with a with a back injury. She seemed to be in in a fair bit of pain in that match. Uh, managed to still make it close, and then, I mean, I really think it came down to one point, and it was an extraordinary point that Kalinina hit just an improbable angled winner to get the decisive break in the third set. I have no idea how she did it. I've watched the video 
so many times and Raducanu seemed surprised by it. She just couldn't couldn't reach it. Um, got her the break, got her the win. And yeah, she's she's racked up a lot of wins recently. So certainly someone to keep an eye on. Also someone to keep an eye on is Carlos Alcaraz because he has just beaten Cam Norrie in a really tough, tight battle in a third set. First time Norrie has ever won a set against Alcaraz. And that means we're going to get Alcaraz against Nadal. For the second year running in Madrid. And it's it's actually funny. as uh, At the moment, we've got Nadal. We've got Alcaraz celebrating in the middle of the Madrid uh, centre court, the Manola Santana Stadium. And, I mean, people are just going crazy for him, aren't they, in the stands? He's so popular. Um, and... That was actually a really good match. Norrie always delivers, doesn't he? He always gives you what he's got, and it's always pretty good these days, and he has to be beaten, and eventually Alcaraz has got the job done. But it strikes me that I'm trying to think of a bigger difference between a player in 12 months Mm. than Carlos Alcaraz, because when he played Nadal... Now, obviously... They may play in a couple of days' time, and Nadal might just wipe the floor with him, right? Um, but I'd be amazed if that was the case. But that's what happened a year ago, and Alcaraz looked like a boy, a junior. I mean, it was it was it looked silly, really, putting them side by side, like a man playing against a boy. And twelve months on, this is not a boy anymore. My main memory from that day a year ago is that Alcaraz uh, got a cake on his birthday and uh, Arena Sabalenka did not, uh, who oh, also yeah, celebrates her birthday like on, on, on May the 5th, like Alcaraz. Anyway, that's a side note uh, because, yeah, I was thinking exactly the same. I think if you if you put Alcaraz this year next to the Alcaraz of 12 months ago, I mean, just physically, it looks like a different person and... He got beaten easily in that match against Nadal last year. I think he picked up an injury actually quite early on in the match. Just, I don't know, you know, having to try and keep up with Nadal, I just think was kind of a bit too much for him 12 months ago. But we've already seen that he can keep up with Nadal at Indian Wells. You know, they went toe-to-toe there. I cannot see it being anything like the match they played last year. I think it would actually be a really close match and a, and a sign of, you know, another sign of how much Alcaraz has developed. Mm. Yeah, um, and it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's been some talk about the conditions in Madrid not necessarily being to his liking. Uh, I heard, I think one of the commentators said on Amazon Prime Video's coverage that he'd played a practice set against mm. Djokovic and got absolutely thumped 6-1 at Alcaraz. Which, I mean, look, getting thumped by... Um, Novak Djokovic, who's the world number one and one of the greatest players of all time, is no shame, and that can happen at any time. But still, it's a measure of how far Alcaraz has come in such a short space of time that that sounds surprising, that he would lose a set 6-1 to anybody as as an enormous three-tiered birthday cake. He's, He's getting carried out by several women who have little flares in their hands uh, that they're they're showing like candles and uh, and Alcaraz is dancing along with the happy birthday that is being sung by the crowd <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to make of it all this is going to happen every year isn't it yeah 
he's really got no choice. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, he, from what I've just seen, he's adapted pretty quickly to these conditions. He doesn't look to be struggling in the high altitude and the balls flying and all the rest of it. For whatever reason, if that was causing him any any issues, he looks thoroughly at home to me. Yes. I didn't think he played brilliantly today. I think there were quite a lot of unforced errors. He looked like he didn't quite have control of, of his game to me. Uh, but Norrie can do that. You know, Norrie can put you in uncomfortable positions, in awkward spots. He can, he can just sort of cling to you and you have to mm. you have to try and put him away. And I think he gets in opponents' heads, Norrie. Um, but certainly it, take, it takes time, I think, to adapt to the altitude a bit. It's not it's not huge altitude in Madrid. It's it's not like some of the tournaments that they play in, in Latin America, but it does make a difference. And, I, I, you know, I've heard Djokovic say that he always feels better as the tournament goes on. The more matches he gets, he tries to get mm. to Madrid early to adapt to it. So I can imagine that Alcaraz will will sort of get used to it with every match he plays, really. And it didn't look like it was bothering him too much. You know, there are some players you just think, OK, no, Madrid's not for you. But, you know, mm. Alcaraz was fine. <laughs> we, we we do tend to think of Rafael Nadal as it being sort of not for him and yet he's won it five times <laughs> yeah but, but his five times is somebody else has never won it at all despite the fact that they've won everything else <laughs> yeah 10 um, is his uh, bar on clay <laughs> that's par yeah isn't it <laughs> um talking to Nadal I mean come on he, I don't understand how he managed to win his match in the end against David Goffin which what a cracking match that was I mean just Brief story of it. I think Nadal led by a set and he had two match points in the second. So he should have, I suppose you could say, he should have wrapped it up quite straightforwardly. Goffin managed to get back into uh, level position against him, set all, and then kind of took over in that decider. And he had multiple match points. I, I watched, I only watched the deciding set and I was so impressed with Goffin. This was rolling back the years, David Goffin, who honestly... He's been kind of the butt of our jokes, really, for the last few months in as much as I, I remember one of us saying, when did you last think or hear about David Goffin? I mean, if somebody had told me David Goffin had retired on the quiet, I'd have believed it because he'd just gone so quiet. And I was looking up his results. I think he lost five matches in, the row, in a row at the end of last year, all first rounds. He's lost six first rounds this year. And suddenly... He's hit form and he's reminded us all what what a wonderful tennis player he is, what a ball striker he is, what, how, the way he can conjure angles. And frankly, he was dominating Nadal at times. This, I mean, this is not vintage Nadal yet. This is coming back from a pretty unpleasant injury, Nadal. And it's probably exactly the sort of match that he needs to, to start getting him into the groove, not necessarily to win this tournament, but to be where he needs to be in a couple of weeks' time for running out. But I don't know. Goffin is a joy to watch when he's playing like that. And and I didn't see it coming. What, what did you make of the match overall? I didn't see it coming, no. Uh, Nadal was 6-3, 5-3 up. He wasn't, playing, he wasn't playing his best tennis, but he was easily doing enough to win. And Suddenly, David Goffin started playing like it was 2017 and sweetly timing the ball as he does and hitting with angles and changing the direction. 
makes it look so easy when he plays like that. He he really is a joy to watch with that with that great footwork he's got as well. Um, and he really, I thought, played better in the second half of the match than Nadal. And I always go back to Mary Carrillo's quote about Nadal and his great big heart. And how many times have we seen that already this year from from Nadal? I mean, his whole career, Nadal has played incredibly dramatic matches but it feels like there's been a it's been a concentration of them this year already which is sort of higher than ever I think back to so many of his matches in Australia and Indian Wells was basically one big week of dramatic matches that he played there and then this one here against Goffin I just I'm in awe really of what Nadal has done this year and today was another one because in the end he had to save four match points and on two of those he just conjured up the most the most brilliant drop shots, you know, they just made so much sense for the time, for the moment. He's able to think so, so clearly under all that pressure and with Goffin playing so well, and yet he comes up with the right shot at the right time. It's just, you know, you've seen it all before, but it's all, it's all amazing to watch. And there was an amazing slow-mo on Amazon Prime of Catherine in the background with uh, Annabelle and Daniela and... Catherine's just in shock in the background, and I'm and I'm like, yep, I've seen that face before in Australia this year. You know that that is Catherine's Nadal shock face. Just sort of can't <laughs> sort of can't believe what you're seeing. Um, and not possible. <laughs> and I just think Nadal is is playing like a guy who missed five weeks, who hasn't practiced much recently, who is who is making this comeback, and he's just got the perfect attitude for a comeback you know he's he's obviously had a lot of experience of coming back from injuries in his career but he's able to accept that he might not be playing his best you know he's sort of humble enough to accept that and to embrace the kind of challenge of getting back to his best and I always think back to the comments he made after he'd been thrashed in the Australian Open final by Djokovic in 2019 when he said he hadn't he hadn't been tested enough through that tournament. He hadn't played defence enough. And when it came to the big match against the best player in the world, he wasn't ready. So I think a match like this, and even the match against, Ketchman- against Ketsmanovic, which got a bit complicated in the second set, are just what he needs right now. He, he needs to be tested. He needs match toughness. You know, he's failed to serve out sets in, in both of these matches so far. And it's all just building blocks, really, for Roland Garros. So as long as he's physically OK, I think, you know, these are these are really good signs for Nadal. Just on those drop shots, uh, the most crucial moments when he's right up against it and uh, match points down, they they hung in the air for what seemed like an age. Mm. And you're thinking, that he's put too much loft under that. that Goffin's going to get, you know. And then you realise Goffin's back on his heels. He hadn't seen it coming. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it's, drop, it's dropping so short and with such vicious spin. Not a chance. And the second one, Goffin just laughed, which I loved. <laughs> you know, he's just looking at him like, come on. I mean, I'm getting your big forehand back, for goodness sake. Don't start chucking those in as well. <laughs> oh. Anyway, it's great to see Goffin back playing like that. I'm really pleased for him. And, uh, and yes, I'm sorry to, to, to tell him that I thought he might retire when, on the sly. Because uh, he hasn't. And he's very much here and present. So Nadal against Alcaraz. When, when's that match going to be played? I believe it's tomorrow. <gasps> in, I, I think it's the afternoon slot, which Nadal has got 
every day. So about four o'clock local time, I think. Okay, well, I don't know who you've gone for for the title, but given my Amanda and Nisimova lost on the same day that I made the prediction, I'm allowed to go uh, and pick a winner out of these two, aren't I? And I think I'm going to go for Alcaraz. Who are you going for? Because my winner prediction isn't out, am I allowed to sit on the fence then? Is that what you're saying? Who's your winner prediction? Because I've predicted Jill Teichman to win the title. I mean, she might you be didn't. out by the time this uh, this podcast goes out. Did you really? Yeah, I did, yeah. Good shout, isn't it? Maybe. I missed that in the news. That's in the newsletter, folks. You can tell I've, I've, I've edited the newsletter. I just haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Not Matt's prediction. I genuinely have been taken by surprise. But yes, uh, make sure you receive the newsletter and then you'll get incredible predictions like Jill Teichman to win Madrid. Uh, from Matt Roberts, and she's in the semi-finals, which is pretty amazing. Um, anyway, so yeah, um, newsletter link is in our show notes if you'd like to receive it, uh, and there's more reason to get it as well, which I'll come on to a bit later. Uh, let's go through a few more of the storylines of today and the last few days. We were all getting very excited at the start of the day. In fact, I I organised my early morning round of golf to finish ahead of eleven o'clock uh, British time. Matt, because I needed to get back for Andy Murray against Novak Djokovic. And then it didn't happen, um, because Andy Murray got food poisoning and has not been very well today. So, five years and counting. <laughs> that was gutting, wasn't it? That that really gave me the same feeling I had, uh, gosh, when Serena pulled out of that match against Sharapova at the French Open a few years ago, when mm. Federer pulled out of the O2 final against Djokovic. I mean, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't as big an occasion as those, I suppose, but I was really excited for this match just to see it again. You know, just to see Murray go up against one of his biggest rivals again, something he never thought, you know, or something he thought might not happen to him again in his career. And I think there was a there was a collective disappointment, wasn't there? Everyone was ready for it, I think, in tennis. And I bet Djokovic too. I bet yeah. he'd love to have played yeah. that today. And of course Murray, because Murray gave this amazing yeah. line that while he was busy beating Denis Shapovalov, the thought of facing Djokovic popped into his mind at the start of the third set there. He was he was really up for this. And look, he probably wouldn't have won, but I just would have loved to have seen it again. And I, and I hope we do over over the coming months. Yeah. Get well soon, Andy Murray. Uh, Novak Djokovic against Hubert Hurkacz in the quarterfinals. Hurkacz, who has turned his clay court fortunes around a bit, hasn't he? Because he was rubbish last year. (laughs) Yeah, he got one win on the clay last year, which, and I I looked this up, I, I did not remember this. Thomas Fabiano in Monte Carlo in his first match. When was the last time you heard the name Thomas Fabiano? That probably signaled an amazing run from him. Probably when he beat Hubert Hercatch last year. Uh, and then Hercatch lost every other match he played on clay. It was right after he won Miami, wasn't it? And everyone was kind of like, oh, what's happened to Hercatch? And then, of course, he, he sort of came back and had a great run at Wimbledon. But, yeah, he's, he's won six times as many matches on clay this season than he won in the entirety of the clay season last year. He, he seems to have figured it out a bit more. But I thought I thought Djokovic, by the way, was very good against Monfils. I mean, I know I know it's Monfils. No, but he was good, wasn't he? He, he was. He looked in the first in the last few matches I've seen him play. The ones in Belgrade, the one in Monte Carlo. 
he looked as though he looked like a different player, really, um, like an imposter. Um, his his arms and legs didn't look like they belonged to him. And then suddenly, against Monfils, maybe this, a degree of it is the sort of familiarity of playing against Monfils. I suspect it's more just he's he's had a few matches now and he's had a, a few weeks back on the circuit having not been on it for ages and and yeah he he's just starting to feel like who he who he is as a tennis player yeah I thought he looked like a completely different guy to the one we saw in Monte Carlo and and even in Belgrade where he you know reached the final um yes yes it was Monfils and that, and that is now the most one-sided head-to-head I think in ATP history, certainly since they sort of started doing the stats, you know, it's, it's 18 wins in a row for Djokovic against and Monfils. No defeats. And no defeats. You know, it's, it's more one-sided than, I think, uh, Nadal Gasquet, uh, Borg, Vitas Gerolaitis was 17-0, and 0, um, and then Federer Yuzny is also 17-0. and 0. Anyway, it's, it's as one-sided as it gets. But I, I, I watched an interview with, with Djokovic on Tennis Channel and... He was pretty open about what he called the mental traces of what happened to him in Australia. And he was still feeling them in his first few matches back. It was like he wasn't himself. It was like he was kind of diminished, I guess, because of the kind of humiliation that he had there. And I think the experience of being back in Belgrade and having that crowd lift him back up, I think has really helped him. And charged him back up and he just looked like a completely different more confident player stepping on the court against against Monfils he'd lost the opening set in all of his matches hadn't he since the comeback and there was none of that against Monfils his his game looked good and yeah I think I think he's turned a bit of a corner in the last week or so with regards to how he's how he's feeling Djokovic on the court so yeah Djokovic against Hercatch for the right to meet the winner of Alcaraz Nadal. It's a heck of a section, and it looks like it it might all play out, you know, unless uh, Hercatch can deliver an amazing performance against Djokovic, and he's certainly playing pretty well at the moment, but uh, we're in for quite a few days. Yeah, we are. And just to say, you know, another reason I was looking forward to Murray Djokovic was because Murray was playing really well. I, I thought mm. I thought his performance against Shapovalov was probably his best of the year. His movement was incredible. Unbelievable, wasn't it? wasn't it? You know, the way he was defending, throwing up those lobs and there's an interesting piece from from Simon Briggs in the Telegraph, you know, where where he mentions Murray's Murray's numbers physically are kind of as good as they've ever been in terms of some of what he's able to do on the court still and and the fact that the fact he's playing like that is just unbelievable and he was more proactive he was hitting his forehand and yeah people people were getting excited about the hashtag Lendl effect because every time every time Lendl has come on board there has been a notable difference in Murray's game you can see it and I felt like okay it was only a couple of matches this week but I felt like we saw it again really Mm. takes me back actually to a press conference you and I were at Matt at the Queen's Club with Andy Murray um, I guess it would have been about three years ago something like that and and one of his quotes was after he'd had the metal joint put in he, he said look there's no pain anymore but what I've got to find out is what my numbers are like in terms mm. of when I push myself do my training 
can I ever match what I was before? And if I can't, that's probably the moment to call it a day. And the fact that you're saying there that Simon Briggs is reporting that the numbers he's showing, that I guess the yardsticks, aren't they? That the sort of speed off the mark or a speed over a certain amount of time or, or an elevation or whatever it might be or a flexibility number or something like that. If those things are there then yeah, well, why why can't you get back to the top of the game? And and look, he's still some way away, and he still hasn't had the... I mean, he wanted to find out today, didn't he? He wanted to find out an example, where am I against Novak Djokovic? And maybe he'll get some chances. I wonder whether this will change his view about Roland Garros, for instance. You know, he was he was only planning to play the grass, and now he, you, you look at it and you think, well, in terms of having a chance at winning big, the grass and maybe the hard courts thereafter are the, are, are the place for it. But if, you, if you're playing this well, maybe you want to get out there. Maybe. I, th- I think he would have to play Rome qualifying if he wants to play in Rome because they've mm. given they've That'd given they've given out all the all the wild cards. I would enjoy that, Murray. Just oh, sort of do it, Andy. marching his way through if he's if he's recovered, I suppose, from his yeah food poisoning. Indeed. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. 
Other players that have been in action today, I mentioned Dan Evans and Andre Rublev. Really good match that was. And Rublev's had a couple against um, Jack Draper and Dan Evans, the two British players, fought through both of them. And he's such a curious player, isn't he? Because in these matches, he's torturing himself mentally and physically. He Once again, for the second time this year that I've seen, he punched his racket and drew blood all over his knuckles. And he did this in the second game of the match and I mean look he's so disarming and and endearing after the match in his interview he he's as kind of bewildered and frankly appalled by his own behavior and and his inability to handle what's going on as as I am I mean and I really am I really get upset watching him play and frankly if if my kids are watching and he's behaving like that, and he's he's smashing his racket into the sole of his shoes and punching his racket and looking like he's having a total meltdown in the second game. I switch it off. I don't want they they don't want to see that, and um, and yet he still gets himself back together and and finds a way to win. I mean, it's it's a really strange combination. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that he's got as good as he is considering. I don't know what it is, the stress, I guess, that he feels on court. Um, yeah, there's some pretty complex psychology going on there, I think. And yeah, I, I, I would love him to be able to resolve that, really, because he is a, I think he's a really good soul, Andre Rublev. He comes across really well in interviews, in lots of the videos that are put out. Generally, what we hear from people you know, at the ATP who are close to him, He's a he's a lovely, lovely guy, and he never, you know, he, he's never someone who is abusive towards umpires, for example, or he's never someone who does things that are nasty to other people. It's all internalized. It's all sort of on himself, and I don't know. I just feel a little bit sorry for him. I kind of want him to to get some help, so he's not doing this because, yeah, as you said, it's he's he's injuring himself a, a lot of the time. It's it, it isn't nice to have to watch and it isn't nice for him and of course you know I I do think there's been a there's been more of it in the last couple of months and you know we can't ignore that you know he's Russian and I'm sure that everything going on is affecting him and he's he's probably anxious a lot of the time just generally in, in life at the moment and you know of course you know we're keeping that in perspective because you know Russian tennis players are not suffering the most from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But, you know, I think we can all recognise that it must be difficult for them as well to a certain degree. And, yeah, I'm completely impressed that he manages to still win tennis matches when when all of this is going on and when he when he is sort of hurting himself like that. It, it's amazing. And his his game can be so good. He hit 34 forehand winners today. That's that's an unbelievable number against Dan Evans, who I think was, you know, kind of enjoying the challenge of winding him up. But yeah, gosh, I just hope the best for Andre Rublev, really, because I, th- I think it's not always it's not always easy for him. Hmm. He uh, he now faces Stefanos Tsitsipas in the quarterfinals. Tsitsipas, who's been pretty serene today, he beat Grigor Dimitrov, who in the previous round he had himself had beaten uh, Diego Schwartzman and looked very good. But Tsitsipas is like a sort of updated model of Dimitrov, and frankly, just a better one. And uh, he um, 
he looks in pretty good form, which isn't surprising on this particular surface. Um, I'd make him favourite against Rublev, but we will, we will see how that goes. Um, one match I wanted to talk to you about is Felix Auger-Aliassim beating Yannick Sinner 6-1, 6-2, which when that was on the schedule, I was looking forward to as a, as a contest because I, I can see similarities between the two of them, both young, both fast arms and, and good athletes and all the rest of it. That is a demolition. Now, I watched the latter parts of that, and I couldn't believe how many winners uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime was hitting. He, he was teeing off as though he believed every shot would go in if he went for it. And um, and Sinner looked bereft. At the, at the handshake, he kind of just tapped him on the chest as if to say, well, too good, mate. I, I cannot live with that. Where has that Felix been the last six weeks or so because he had that wonderful run indoors in february won marseille got to the final rotterdam and then just disappeared i don't know david <laughs> good question but he needed a performance like this didn't he? he really did um uncle tony as as we will still call him of course was watching was watching <laughs> nadal and then about halfway through that match, he left and went to the Arantxa Sanctuary Stadium or Stadium 3, maybe it was, to watch Ojea Aliassim against Sinner. And then he was able to make it back onto the main stadium for Nadal because Felix finished that match so quickly. Uh, he was awesome. And I think, I mean, lots of players are confidence players, aren't they? But I'm, I'm kind of working on a theory that he is kind of more than any Um this this might be a weird comparison and maybe I need to kind of explain my workings here, but it reminds me a little bit of Joe Conta because sometimes Joe Conta would play and you would watch her and she was nigh on unbeatable when she had a serve going, when she was hitting these sort of brilliant ground strokes from the baseline. And then sometimes you would watch her and it was all a struggle. It was all a little bit mechanical and a little bit uneasy and she would miss big you know she'd miss by big margins and I think I think both of those things are true with Oje Aliassim as well he can look flawless like he did today he took Sinner apart he seemed to like the conditions big serve big forehands but then sometimes like in the last few months you can watch him and really wonder kind of what his game plan is a little bit on the court and why he's missing by such wide margins and I don't know I get I get similar feeling watching Oji Aliassim. You can tell quite early, I think, if he's playing well or not. And he'll sometimes battle through when he's not playing yeah. well. But I agree with you. But when he's when he's playing well, it all just comes easily and that was that was like what we saw today. Mm. Well, Oji Aliassim, I like your your Conte comparison. I mean, maybe for Canadian listeners that they, they may not know too much about Conte, but we've obviously followed her career very closely. I don't really see where you're coming from there. Um, and so Auger Aliassime faces uh, Alexander Zverev in the quarterfinals. He benefited from a retirement from Lorenzo Massetti today. Um, and they actually played at the ATP Cup earlier this year, and Auger Aliassime got a win, which was a, which was a really good match. Um, so it'll be fascinating because I don't think Zverev is in tip-top form just at the moment. He's he's He looks good when the serve's going in, but the rest of it, uh, frankly, not that convincing. So it'll be interesting to see whether Ojealiasim is able to uh, to get the win there. We have quite the order of play, therefore, on Friday. All the men's quarterfinals, back-to-back, 
starting with Djokovic against Hubert Hercatch, 2 p.m. local time. Then it's Nadal Alcaraz. Evening match at 8 p.m. local time is Rublev Sitsipas, and another late one because it's Ozzy Asim against Verev last on. So uh, lots to look forward to on Friday. Now, uh, one of the people that has beaten Alexander Zverev recently, that we were talking about the other day, was Holger Rune. And I will say the Rune because, Matt, we have been inundated by Danish listeners who we are enormously grateful to for for helping us out, really, because I got myself into a right mess listening over and over again to Holger Rune um, saying his own name on the ATP website and convincing myself that there wasn't an R sound. Well, it turns out from our Danish listeners that there is. It's just quite um how, how do i put it gutteral i think would be the word gutteral that's the word i'm looking yes. for yes in, in, in fact one of our lovely danish listeners i had no idea we had so many but we do thank thanks to all of them and one of us sent us a link to a wikipedia entry for gutteral r's and did did say this is probably the dullest wikipedia page you've ever been sent but uh you know, I appreciated it. And yes, there is an R. Thank you, everyone who got in touch. Yeah. So uh, it's great great to know that we, we can actually say the bloke's name right, because uh, I think we might have to say it a fair bit more, because he seems quite good. I actually did two interviews um, about Holger Rune this week with Danish journalists who wanted to find out what I thought of him. Like, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> uh, but I have seen him just beaten Alexander Zverev, and he was excellent. So, uh, and hopefully you won't say any more appalling things like he did last year. Anyway, um, he's he's hopefully grown up. Um, talking to people that are very much grown up and and pretty tall, six foot eight, Kevin Anderson, <laughs> and uh, pretty pretty old now as well. No offense, Kevin, you're still younger than me, but he's retired. Um, he had a heck of a career though, didn't he? I mean, I think when I saw first saw Kevin Anderson play. If somebody had told me that he would be a U.S. Open finalist and a Wimbledon runner-up as well, I would have laughed at them. Yeah, he was a late bloomer, wasn't he? He, um, mm. he he was around for a long time before he really got properly good, and he was properly good. And I think John Wertheim put it nicely that you know people people dream of being Nadal or Federer or Djokovic, etc. But you know. If a lot of pros could be like Kevin Anderson, they would they would sign for that as well, I think, because the way he got the most out of his game. Two Grand Slam finals puts him in pretty pretty elite company, really, in the sort of history of tennis. You know, it's not many players have reached multiple Grand Slam finals. He did it on two different surfaces. He beat Federer from two sets down, didn't he, at Wimbledon that one year. And, yeah, I, I think I'll remember him for those two amazing runs at the slams and also for being a good guy to be honest i mean he he spoke out about the atp tours need to be more sustainable and to reduce plastic and to do more for the environment and he was also a real lgbtq ally really you know he appeared at a lot of a lot of nick mccarvel's events um and i think i think he's probably the leading player that i've heard recognize that there's a bit of a cultural problem on the ATP tour and you know it would be a better safer space if there were more people like Kevin Anderson so 
all power to him for that. He was just a good guy to have on on the tour. So thank you, mm. Kevin. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he goes on to do. I hope he stays in tennis mm. in some way because I think he's got a lot to offer. You know, I, I agree with you. I, th- those things stood out to me as well. I, re- I remember interviewing him about the uh, the support he was giving the LBTQ community and trying to help improve that environment to make it feel like a safer space. And I remember how he was, how attentive he was about it how he wanted to get the messaging right and how it really mattered to him and he was he was going he he was pushing the need to talk about mm. it and and not just reacting and responding and and uh, just to see somebody who's that aware within tennis which is a you know and sport generally it's such a selfish sport usually and and understandably in some ways but i i liked the way he he came across in those moments and 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 led um and i think there is a leader in in him um and look i i don't want to i don't want to disrespect his career in any way i'm saying that i didn't see this coming in from him in when i first saw him because of just how much he has got out of his career and when i think of that us open where this naturally shy introverted quiet man was making himself shout come on after every point like like a little Leighton Hewitt back in the <laughs> late 90s you know it was so anti what we thought about him and yet he was just doing this to get the best out of himself and uh boy did he he had a fantastic career and um I wish him all, we wish him all the best for the future um right that pretty much does it for another edition of the Tennis Podcast at 11.34 Madrid time with Jill Teitman and Jessica Pagula just going through the first few games of their semi-final and there aren't many people left in the stadium and it's getting me angry again. Anyway. Yeah, me too. And look, they've both had, they've both had great weeks, haven't they, these two? As you, as you said, Pagula beat uh, Andrescu and then Cyrus Ribes Tormo. Not many players hit through Cyrus Ribes Tormo. You know, I watched I watched Naomi Osaka be unable to do it a few days ago, and then I watched Jessica Pagula make it look, you know, not that hard. The way she played, the way she moves on clay is is underrated. I think she was also throwing in some drop shots. Yeah, she's she's really good now, Jessica Pagula and Teichman. Teichman I like because I think we all thought of her as a clay court specialist because that was how she came through with those titles. But then some of her best results have been on hard court. She's really proved herself on on both surfaces and she's beaten Kvitova and Rabatkina and Fernandez all without dropping a set this week. So this is a this is a big semi final, you know, big opportunity for both players. It's just such a shame it's in these conditions. Mm. Well, we will cover that match in our next edition of the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back, I think, on Monday uh, to wrap up the tournament and look back on these quarterfinals and the men's draw as well and all the rest of uh, the results that follow thereafter. And we have news of a partnership that we have with Wilson uh, this week, which we announced in our newsletter um, yesterday. And we're launching that partnership by offering two tickets to Roland Garros for friends of the tennis podcast who can enter a competition just for friends. So if you would like to be in the hat and have a chance to win those tickets, become a friend of the tennis podcast. You also get, we have nine 
bonus shows up at the moment, all new or exclusive to uh, Friends of the Tennis Podcast. And we've got loads more coming in the next uh, few weeks and months and throughout the rest of the year. So we really will be looking to make it worth your while if you do sign up as a friend. Um, and also you will be supporting what we do year round. These weekly shows, these Thursday shows right now, our dailies at the uh, French Open and Wimbledon and US Open that will be coming your way. And uh, we can also say that we're going to be on site at uh, Roland Garros this year all together and all because of Friends of the Tennis Podcast. Because, I mean, it's a pretty <laughs> substantial investment to send three of us. Admittedly, I'm also working for, for the BBC while I'm there. But, I mean, Matt and, and Catherine are both going, going to be there for the Tennis Podcast. And we're going to be there for th- basically three weeks um, to try to bring you the very best that we possibly can. And, uh, yeah, we, we can't wait. And so thank you to everybody that, uh, that has become a friend. Um, because uh, you're the difference makers for for what we're able to do. Um, So if you want to be, come on, uh, link is in the show notes. Uh, And Matt, one of those friends, has also got a mascot, and a mascot for this particular episode. Tell us about Dottie. Yes, lovely Dottie. We sent sent Catherine a photo of Dottie earlier, and Catherine just instantly replied, oh my God, she's beautiful. Um, and <laughs> Dottie is owned by Andre and his family. She was a stray. She was a sort of Christmas puppy because they found her a couple of years just before Christmas on a beach. Um, and Dottie now lives with them. She's two years old, loves digging holes, playing hide and seek, hates getting wet. Uh, we love Dottie. And thank you to Andre for being a friend and bringing, bringing Dottie into our lives. Oh. Lovely. Uh, we've got our own mascots as well. I've got Darwin, right, Darwin. Uh, Catherine's got Carter. Matt has got Gerald the cat. And we've had some bad news, Matt. We have, yes. Very sad news. Gerald, Gerald is no longer with us. Um, we're really going to miss Gerald. He was, he was a real, real character. I think we had him. We had him as a Wimbledon mascot. A couple of years ago, and I will always just picture him in in a bow tie next to some champagne. I think he really he really loved being a mascot, and yeah, he's been been my mascot this year. And Gerald, we are top of the leaderboard, so you've done me proud. Oh. And um, yeah, our thoughts are our thoughts are with Daryl and and Liz, who who had twelve special years with Gerald and lots and lots of memories. But yeah, very 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 sad. Thinking of you, Daryl and Liz. Yeah, well said. Um, Daryl's my old mate from university, and uh, yeah, thinking of you both, um, it, it's really sad. Um, Billy Jean the dog has been living the life of Riley, by the looks of it, with Catherine's brother over the last uh, week. Billy Jean Can't always lives now, the life sure. of Riley. Yeah, she really, really does. <laughs> and I mean, for goodness sake, she's sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Come on. <laughs> She's only been alive just over a year. She's already <laughs> sponsored by these people. Extraordinary. Uh, anyway, uh, Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. And we have shout-outs, Matt. We have David Kohler from Switzerland. All right, David. Good name, mate. Yes, um, he, says, uh, he says, I believe I'm older than my fellow David. 
Uh, he oh says, my goodness! He How said, old are you? He says, "In the eighties, I owned a pair of Nike Aircross trainers, the ones that John McEnroe sported in the advert with the Beatles song Revolution." If David remembers that, wow! I mean, okay, not only are you older, but you're also cooler. <laughs> I mean, crikey, that's very good. Good on you, David. Thanks for being our friend. We also have Jean. Pounier, who is a Swiss, also Swiss, living in Arizona. Wow, that's a good story. I wonder what Jean's story is. I wonder what took him to Arizona. Mm. Have you ever been to Arizona? Home of the Cardinals. Yes, but no, I haven't been. (laughs) It would be great if I had, and I had an anecdote, but I don't. (laughs) All I know is about their American football team, which um, I'm hoping don't do very well so that my Seattle Seahawks can beat them. Uh, Who else we got? Thanks ever so much, Jean, for being our friend. We have Pamela Hood, who is from Scotland. And in her little bio, her, her, her three bullet points about her life, addicted to following tennis, love dogs, and saw David at Queen's, so tall. (laughs) <laughs> right Pamela well I mean you know I'm, I'm massively on board with all your uh, three bullet points and uh, you're right I am I'm quite tall uh, and it comes in handy sometimes sometimes I'm ha- I'm able to help short people get things off top shelves uh, but also it's a bit cramped in airplanes do you ever get annoyed with people telling you how tall you are because I, I have a friend who's tall and he, he says it's annoying like I know I'm tall yeah, when they actually come up to you and go, you're tall, uh, I'm not really sure what you meant to answer to that, to be honest. <laughs> but, Pamela, you can say whatever you like, because uh, you're our friend. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. <laughs> I wasn't having a go, Pamela, I promise. <laughs> no, uh, we better wrap this up. Um, so, Catherine will be back, hopefully, on Monday. Um, she's much missed, and uh, she's doing a grand job over there in Madrid, and she'll have all the goss to share. Uh, hey, maybe she'll end up with in some weird dive bar afterwards, like at Indian Wells. What was that called again? Oh, what was that called? The Nest. The Nest, that was it. How could I forget? <laughs> She's going to go to the Madrid version of The Nest, folks, and she'll be back with us on the Tennis Podcast on Monday. Uh, do sign up to so. the newsletter. I'm, become a f- I'm very ready for more stories of inappropriate grinding. <laughs> become a friend if you can. Tell your friends about the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be back with more chat about tennis in a few days' time. See you. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.